um, Titus 2, 11 through 15. It says, For the grace of God has, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. So we're going to talk about the saving grace of God from start to finish. So him saving us in justification, sanctification, and glorification. So the fact that he saved us from the penalty of our sins and, and now presently is saving us from the power of sin and then in the future he's going he's gonna to save us from the presence of sin when Christ comes back. So the, this infinite grace is where we need to turn to to be free from the power of sin. That's the main thing that we'll talk about. And then also at the end he talks about the, the authority that the teacher of the word of God has. So, so let's get into it. For the grace of God has appeared. So, so for would mean because. So, so we have to go back to the verses before that in just a brief summation. I'm not going to re-preach sermons. But, but Paul's telling Titus, and also let me add, he's telling Titus knowing that it would be preached in the church in Crete and therefore get to us. The Spirit knew all that. So Paul's telling Titus in the verses before this verse, preach sound doctrine. Teach the people to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, whether they're old or young. And teach them to live upright and godly lives at home, at church, and at work. And then he says, you, you yourself, Titus, you live this way. And then he says, why? Because it adorns the doctrine of God our Savior. So we want to live lives that adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So, so Paul's telling Titus, tell these people to live like this. And then he says, why do we want to live like that? Because the grace of God has appeared. In view of God's mercy, that's why we want to live lives that show him all. So that's why he says because. So, so for the grace of God has appeared. Now, before I talk about grace, I have to talk about what we deserve. So he says his grace has appeared, bringing salvation. So what or who is he saving us from? It's God. So his grace has appeared to save us from himself, for himself, through himself, to himself. But So look, his grace is undeserved kindness, so I have to show you what we deserve first before we can understand grace, and so that we appreciate this infinite grace more. So God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, demands perfection first and foremost. He demands a perfect life that no one can live, no one can achieve it. Infinite righteousness, that's what he demands. We're all in desperate need of an of, of a infinite righteousness that we can never achieve, who is perfect? But that's what he demands. That's problem number one. Problem number two, God hates sin. And we're full of sin. And the Bible says from Adam we're born in sin, dead in our sin, slaves to sin. We, we love our sin and we, 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 we hate God. Every time we sin, we show God hatred. We follow Satan. We all have sinned and broken his holy law and deserve his holy wrath because he's infinite, infinitely just. He lets no sin slide. He has to punish sin. We can't atone for our own sin because it takes a perfect one to atone for it. We're in desperate need of this grace. He, let me show you from Scripture how much God hates sin. Psalms 5, 4 through 6. You are not a God who delights in wickedness. 
Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Psalms 21. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. One more picture of what we deserve. We, we have broken his holy law. We deserve his holy wrath. We've defied him. Now, Shailen made a song about a man that went to hell and is currently under God's wrath. So, so he, he, when I first heard it, it shook me. So he said, he said basically, a, a man trying to warn his family from, from under God's wrath. So, so he's currently under the torment of God, what we all deserve, and he said this. This is just a little picture of it. He's, he's describing hell, trying to warn his family, even though his efforts are in vain. Think about it. He said, I've awakened to a real-life nightmare. It's quite clear there's no use putting up a fight here. My destiny is sealed. A true catastrophe with future agonies that have yet to be revealed. And that thought alone is such a blow to me is terrible. Because what I'm feeling right now is totally unbearable. I'm disembodied. Met my worst fear mentally. Every second like a year, every year a century. No one that I could call. Crushed under a wall of holy fury, amazed by the justice of it all. There's no slumber, all shame, no peace. There's no comfort, all pain, it don't cease. And that's, I'm going to stop right there. That's where we deserve to be right now. Don't let his grace get old to you. Because your sin that you did today deserves his wrath. The thoughts that you thought today that are wicked deserve his wrath. And you do not have the infinite righteousness that you need. So what's the answer? What's the answer to, to, to be free from this penalty that we deserve? The grace of God has appeared. Now, the grace of God is undeserved kindness, unmerited favor. That's a characteristic of God. But he says it appeared. Now, how does the grace of God appear? Answer, Jesus Christ. He is the grace of God. He, the grace of God is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. Let's go through it. Actually, let me go to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from His fullness we all receive grace upon grace. Jesus is the grace of God. He's the God-man. Who, who left heaven, came to earth, born of a virgin. He wasn't born in sin like we were. He's perfectly pure, inside and out. Every thought, every word he did for 33 years was in perfect law keeping. He loved the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, and mind. And loved his neighbor as himself perfectly. He's infinitely righteous. He is the righteousness that God demands. He's the righteousness of God. And those who trust and repent in the, in the person and work of Christ get his credit. So we get covered with his perfect life. He is the grace of God, and from his fullness, we all receive grace upon grace. Not only that, he's the propitiation for our sins. He's the wrath-absorbing, wrath sin-atoning, substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. He took the wrath of God that we deserve, that eternal torment that I just told you about. He suffered it infinitely. He is the grace of God, and from his fullness, we all receive grace upon grace. Not only that, he's the resurrection and the life. We've been buried with him and raised with him. 
He, 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 he is eternal life. We're united to him. He's the grace of God. He's the ascendant Lord of the universe seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us now. And we've been raised with him in Ephesians 2, it says that. And the Father loves us with the same love he has for him, which is infinite and eternal. He, like Chris said in the beginning, he can't love us more than he loved, d- does love us right now because we're in Christ, who is the grace of God. And from his fullness, we all receive grace upon grace. And not only that, he's coming back. And when he comes back, we'll be like him. We'll share in his glory. No more sin, no more pain, no more suffering. He is the grace of God. And from his fullness, we all receive grace upon grace upon grace. Oceans of God's grace poured out on us because of the Christ. So now, with that in view, the infinite grace that's been lavished upon us through those who who trust in, in Christ. He says, has brought salvation for all people. What's that mean? Everybody's going to heaven? Absolutely not. Everybody's going to be saved? No. It means for all time and eternity, there's one Savior. In the Old Testament, the types and shadows and sacrificial system were all pointing to him. And anybody, that's, anybody in the Old Testament that was saved was saved through him and his work. Not only that, anybody after him. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. John 3.16 explains that well. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So, in contrast to the world, the wicked, when John talks about the world, it's the wicked, sinful God-hating, depraved world system. And in contrast to that sinfulness, God's love by sending his son to save some of them. Now he said, whoever believes in him shall not perish. So the whoever would, would qualify bringing salvation for all people. It's whoever believes. Now, shall not perish, Christ perish in their place. There's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Christ was condemned. And they have eternal life because he is eternal life and we're united to him. Now we need to figure out who's the whoever. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Who's the whoever? The one who God had, got, God had grace on, made them alive by his spirit, regenerated them, gave them a new heart, new mind, new emotions, new will, and put his spirit inside them so that they believe in Christ. And his grace that I, we just talked about is irresistible to the believer that's been made alive by God. That's the whoever. Now, the next verse, he's going to talk about us. So he's, he's whittling it down from bringing salvation for all people. Then he talks about teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So the us is the believers. And, and, and the grace of God that has appeared is teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Renounce means hate, forsake, repent. And then um, ungodliness would be the way we used to be. We are alienated from God, enemies of God. We didn't want God in our thinking. We wanted to do what we wanted to do. Christian, the spirit of God now dwells in you, but we still have ungodliness. And from that ungodliness is worldly passions, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, slander, arrogance, folly. All these come from inside and make a man unclean. So all our wickedness flows from our ungodliness. But he said the grace of God is teaching us to repent of that. Repentance is uh, Proverbs 28, 13. 
He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy, renounce, hate, and forsake. First and foremost, the Spirit of God comes at regeneration. It makes us alive, gives us a new mind, new emotions, new will. Because the Bible says we're spiritually dead in our sin to begin with. Then he makes us alive, gives us eyes to see the grace that has appeared. And he shows us our wickedness and causes us to hate it and forsake it and repent and believe in the person and work of the Son and we're saved from the penalty. But the Spirit doesn't leave. And he continues that work. He continues to show us our wickedness, our ungodliness, and our worldly passions and causes us to hate them and forsake them and repent and believe in the gospel. Let me show you. The Bible says God's kindness leads us to repentance. So the Spirit of God shows us our wickedness and then points us to the Son. And we see on the cross how much God hates sin. Look at what he did to his Son. But then not only that, we see his kindness, his love, his grace by punishing his son instead of us. And that breaks us. We see his goodness, his loving kindness, and that causes a heart change. It's not that we, we, we are going to get crushed and punished. We're, we're already in Christ. We know that that wrath has been absorbed. But his, seeing his kindness and love and mercy to send his son to save us, that causes us to repent. True repentance. Let me, let me put it like this. If I'm screaming at my kid, he might listen, but it's not coming from the heart. He just don't want to get screamed at when he does something wrong. But if I'm treating him with grace and love and being a Christ-like individual in front of him, when he sins against me, he's going to be broken and start tearing up because he knows I love him. We know that the Father loves us because he sent his Son. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now... Not only that, he teaches us from his grace, from his mercy, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Self-control, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So the gospel of grace produces love by the Spirit. We see how much the Father loves us, and, then, and that love should flow out of us. Joy. In your, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. We're in Christ. We're saved from the penalty of sin forever. That should bring joy, peace, patience. We have peace with God. So why can't we have peace with man? If, we, if we've been forgiven of all our sins, forgiveness should flow out of us when people sin against us. Listen, the, the Spirit is conforming us to Jesus Christ. And he is the radiance of God's glory. We should be radiating that glory more and more and more. So the people that are around us that are sinning against us at home, at work, at church, he put them there for a reason. So, and, and it's for us to be changed by the gospel so that they see the change in our lives and it points them to the gospel. All right, let's keep going. Self-control. Uprightness. Righteousness. If the spirit of the righteous king lives in us, we should be living righteous. And not only that, the people around us should say we have self-control. They should be accusing us of that. They should be accusing us of being righteous, living righteously. Not only that, godliness in the present age. It teaches us to live godly in the present age. He's conforming us to the image of Christ. So godliness would be God is all about his glory and the good of his people, we should be the same. 
We should be living lives for his glory and the good of his people. And if the spirit is conforming us to Christ and he loves God with all his heart, soul and mind and loves his neighbor as himself perfectly, we should be doing the same more and more and more. Why? Because it adorns the doctrine of God, our Savior. Why? Because he saved us. Do you do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that the father loves you with all that he is because of his son? Do, do you believe that you're forgiven? Do you believe that you're covered with his righteousness and that he's coming back and will redeem you from sin forever? Then we should live like it. I'm turning again. Now, so if here, here, here's how it works, and I want to stay here in this part. This part, hurt, this is the convicting part. It's been convicting me for a month. We either are being conformed to the world or being transformed by the renewing of our mind. There's no in-between. So transformation only comes from looking to the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face, beholding us in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So the more we look back to the cross, back to God's grace, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, he conforms us and we're transformed. The more we neglect that side, there's no other option but to be conformed. And, and the way we live either is pushing people away because of our wickedness, because of our worldly passions and our ungodliness, or with a lifestyle of repentance that the Spirit brings, it, it, it glorifies God by the way we live. We either push them away or, or drawing them in. I'm guilty of pushing them away, just to be honest. And there's, there's a need for repentance with all of us. So, so as we go on, and live, we want, we want to glorify God. Because, look, I don't want the grace of God to get old. So, right now, presently, he hates your ungodliness and your worldly passions. And somebody had to take that wrath off of you, and that's Christ. So that, that ungodliness and worldly passions that you live today, that you did today, that you thought today, he hates it. But, but yet, in his love, he sent his son. Not only that, but look at um, your sin and your ungodliness is destroying my thank you. <laughs> our sin and our ungodliness is destroying our relationships and it's ruining our witness. We're, we're causing our sin causes his name to be blasphemed. And the, like, listen, if God hates your sin, so do the people around you. And we didn't get the memo. We're cool with it. It's destroying you. Repent, repent, and believe in the gospel. That's the answer. So, so um, it's the power of the gospel that changes people. It's us looking to what he's done in his perfect life, death, and resurrection that changes our heart so that we live a life of repentance. It's a struggle. And I don't, I don't, I I don't want to breeze through this part because it's a constant battle between our sinfulness and the spirit of God that lives inside of us. And the only answer is Jesus Christ. So, one thing, and then I'll move on. If, if the Spirit of God convicts us of our sin and points us to the Son to save us from the penalty of sin, and then in the future, when, it, when Jesus comes back and the Spirit of God, our final gaze at Him conforms us to His image perfectly, it's the same answer right now. He's going to convict us of our sin and point us to the, to the Son in His first coming and His second coming, and that transforms us. All right, now the good part coming It says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Christ is coming. 
in all his majesty, infinite majesty, infinite beauty, infinite glory, and we're going to share in that glory. So, so he's going to come back and we're going to be glorified, free from sin, free from pain, free from suffering, free from tears. It says, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sin of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Hebrews, 1 John 3. And we know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him just as he is. And everyone who has his hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. He's coming back. And let's go back to the, to the, to the last part. There will be no more need to, to, to hate your ungodliness. You, you won't have none. We'll be made perfectly into his image. There'll be no more need to hate your, your, your worldly passions. You're not going to have any. You're going to be just like Christ, conformed to his image perfectly. He's our blessed hope. Keep going. You won't need to have self-control. You won't have any wicked desires to keep yourself from doing He's our blessed hope. You won't need to live upright and righteously. You'll be perfectly righteous just like he is. He's our blessed hope. And, this, and the grace of God teaches us to wait on him. You won't need to live godly. You'll be perfectly conformed to his image. That's, that's, that's what I'm waiting for. That's what my kids are waiting for. They'll have a perfect dad. I will never scream at them again in sinful anger. We'll be the perfect humans. Now. He says he's our great God and Savior. If you, if you deny his deity, you blaspheme his name. I, anyone. If you, if you deny that he's God, you're basically calling him a liar because he claimed to be God. You, you, you're denying scripture. He said and he's the image of the invisible God. The, the, where all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. He's God. And when he, when he showed his resurrected self to Thomas, Thomas bowed down and worshipped him and said, my Lord and my God. And he didn't deny that worship. He accepted it. He's God. And let me say this. If he's not God, he's not Savior. But he is God and is our Savior. If he's not God, he can't live perfectly. If he's not perfect, he can't be an all-satisfying substitute on the cross. And, and, and if he's not the eternal God, he can't take the eternal wrath of God on the cross. And if he's not the substitutionary sacrifice, he's staying in the grave. If he's not God, he's not Savior. But the fact is, he is God and he is Savior. And everyone is going to have to deal with that one way or another. He says he's our great God and Savior, so he goes to his person and his work. He goes to his person first, now he's going to go back to his work, back to the cross, who gave himself for us. And in, in Ephesians and Galatians, it says he loved us and gave himself for us. So Chris gave me a free book, and that's the best kind of book to read. <laughs> I couldn't memorize it, but this is, a, this is speaking, of, speaking of how he gave himself for us. So, so this is a picture of, it's, it's, it's imaginative, it's from John Flavel, a Puritan writer, but he's, he's picturing a, a conversation between the father and his son in eternity past. And this is the father. My son, here's a company of poor, miserable souls that have utterly undone themselves and now lie open to my justice. Justice demands satisfaction for them. 
or will satisfy itself in eternal ruin of them, what shall be done for these souls? And this is Jesus. Oh, my father, such is my love, too, and pity for them that rather than they shall perish eternally, I will be responsible for, for them as their guarantee. Bring all your bills that I may see what they owe you. Lord, bring them all in that there may be no after reckonings with them. At my hand, you will require it. I would rather choose to suffer your wrath than to suffer it than they suffer it. Upon me, my father, upon me be all their debt. This is the father. But my son, if you undertake for them, you must pay the last penny, except no discounts. If I spare them, I will not spare you. And this is the son. I'm willing, father, let it be so. Charge it all to me. I'm able to pay their debt. And though it will undo me, though it will impoverish all my riches and empty all my accounts, yet I am content to undertake it. So he, he, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. So redeem means buy back. We've been bought back from all lawlessness. In 1 John, he says sin is lawlessness. So he redeemed us and it took the, his perfect life and his perfect death, his wrath absorbing death on the cross. For three hours, he paid all our debt. All of our sins were put on him. All of our rebellion, all of our wickedness put on him. The precious sinless Christ God put all our sins on him and punished him with the eternal punishment that would have took an eternity to pour out on us the full cup of God's wrath poured out on him and he redeemed us he bought us back that was the price from all lawlessness to purify for himself a people purify all of our sins have been separated from us as far as the east is from the west his perfect life is covering us we're seen as Pure, right? We're perfectly pure in his sight. Not only that, he's purifying us. The spirit of God is conforming us to Christ. And, and, and let me add this. It's, it's through the gospel. It's the power of the gospel that purifies us now. It, it's the power of the gospel to save us from the penalty, but it's the power of the gospel now to purify us. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But for those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Don't run away from the power, run to the power, which is the grace and the person and work of the Son. All right, so he's purifying us. That's how he does it, through the gospel, us running to the gospel, seeing where all our sin has been paid for, seeing the righteousness of Christ that arrays us. He's covering us with his righteousness, and he will purify us when he comes back perfectly, be made into his image. So he purified for himself a people for his own possession. Listen. We've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We have been chosen by the Father in eternity past, given to the Son. The Son came and paid our debt. Then he sent his Spirit inside of us to make us alive and seal us as his own. We are not our own. It's, we are his. So your body ain't your body. It's his body. Your, 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 your time ain't your time. It's his time. Your your. Your life ain't your life, it's his life. So we should be, by the Spirit, living lives that are worthy of the gospel. So if, if we've been redeemed, bought, we're not ours, we're his, we should be spending our time glorifying him and living for him. And when we don't, that's when the Spirit comes in and convicts us, and then what happens? He points us back to the cross. Now, people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So zealous would be on fire for good works. So we wake up in the morning looking for good works to do for some people. 
Not, and, and the best thing we could do is preach the gospel to people so that their souls are saved. But our lives adorn that doctrine that we preach. So we want to do good. We want to see the, um, show the change that the gospel brings so that we draw people into Christ. We're zealous for good works. Let me, let me give you some more. What's, how can we be, how, what makes us zealous for good works? And that's the whole point of why he saved us. What's the point? So, so how do we do that? Again, the gospel. He, he covers you with his perfect life. He, he atones for all your sin. He, he gave himself for you. He redeemed you from the price. He raised from the grave. You've been buried with him and raised with him. Your sin is seated in heaven with him. He's coming back and will free you from all pain, all suffering, all sin. And even his enemies will get thrown into the lake of fire. You will share in his glory. Does that not make you zealous for good works? It's the gospel that, that changes us and makes us zealous. It's the gospel that brings joy, peace, patience, and the fruit of the Spirit so that he's, his glory is radiating through us. If you move from the gospel, you won't be zealous. You'll be spiritually in a, in a corner somewhere. But when, when we spend time in the gospel and, and the Spirit shows us our sin and we run to him and, and bask in his grace that he's lavished upon us in Christ, that makes us zealous. And that's why he came. But, but because of his great love for us, Ephesians 2. God made us alive in Christ even when we are dead in transgressions and sins. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see the kindness and, and the love and the grace and the mercy that God has poured out on us, that changes us. All right. Now, he says, declare these things. Speak these things. Teach these things so that your people hear these things. This is Paul talking to Titus. Declare it. Declare it so they hear it. And then exhort would mean kind of like James when he says, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So exhort me strongly, encourage your people to command these, to, to, to obey these things, to obey God's commands. So an uh, 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 example of that would be, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Or in view of the saving grace of Christ, hate your sin, repent of your sin, and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Why? Because it adorns his doctrine. Now, he also says rebuke. So that would mean convict the people, warn the people that any disobedience to God's word and God's gospel brings either, if they're a non-believer, God's wrath, but since we are believers, there's no longer eternal wrath, but God disciplines those that he loves. So if you, if you don't want to hate your sin, if, you, if you're refusing to repent, if you're giving in to worldly desires, worldly desires and it's a habit and your lifestyle, his correction is coming because he disciplines those that he loves. And you don't want no parts of that discipline. It's good for you, but it hurts. If, if Christ is the good shepherd and we are his sheep and he's leading us down the path of righteousness for his own namesake, and, and we like sheep go astray, that's why he has a staff. So every time we, we stray off that path, he will yank us back and it won't feel good. So that next time when we try to stray, you know, I'm good. I ain't going to. Or he might allow you even to go into the dangerous part away from his will and into sin so that you come crawling back 
He disciplines those that he loves. And then he says, with all authority. Who has all authority? Jesus Christ. He, 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 he earned his way. He did his father's will and was seated at his right hand. God handed him all authority. That brings me back to verse 1 in chapter 1 when Paul says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So slave of God. Apostle means uh, slave with a message. And Christ is the master. Paul don't have no authority. Jesus does. And Jesus gave Paul the authority only when he preaches the message. So, so Paul's telling Titus, preach the message of the master. Then you have all the authority to what? Exhort, rebuke, and declare. So the message only has authority if it's lined up with the master. A false preacher knows the master's message, pushes it away, makes up his own message that will bring more people in. He has no authority. His authority comes from his master, Satan. And he's drawing people in because it feeds the sinful nature what they already want. Money, health, all that stuff. But a true teacher of the word, uh, MacArthur would say this, preach the word and get out the way. Let, let God say what he said. And, and this is the ultimate message of scripture, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the message. God hates sin. He demands a perfect life. None of us have it. All of us have sin. We all deserve his wrath. In his love, in his mercy, in his grace, he sent his son to live perfectly. And then to die a perfect death and raise from the grave, ascend into heaven and come back to destroy his enemies and bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That's the message. If you if repent and believe in the gospel, that's the message. Now, he says, let no one disregard you. You can disregard me. And you can disregard Titus, Paul, but you only be disregarding the message. And if you disregard the message, then you disregard the master who sent the message. So the message is repent and believe in the gospel. Like, so this is a closing note. Again, the power to change you comes from Christ's first coming and second coming. When we look to his first coming to save us from the wrath of God. By his perfect life, death, and resurrection. And we see his glory. We see his majesty. We see his beauty. That, the Spirit uses that to change us. So the Spirit convicts us of sin and points us to the glory of Christ and that changes and restores us. We see the love of God that he has for us by punishing his son. And looking to his coming glory will free us from sin. We're waiting for that hope. We'll be free from sin. That changes us now to go live lives for the, that are worthy of the gospel. That's all I've got. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for sending your son to take the punishment for our sins. Thank you that he lived perfectly and that perfect life covers us. Thank you that you love us with the same love you have for him. Help us love each other more in this church and, and radiate your glory. Despite of what's going on, despite of all the surrounding circumstances, help us walk in love by the power of your spirit, fueled by the gospel. Help us love you more and love each other more at home, at work, and at church because it adorns your doctrine, your saving grace of Jesus Christ. Amen.